Yeah, it was um in on Monday it was um it it was probably it stayed around in a negative twelve most of the day. It got down all the way down to negative sixteen. Yeah, that's the coldest I've ever. God, and it was even colder. And I'm sorry, guys, but wouldn't you rather deal with earthquakes? <laughs> I mean, really, come on. Don't you want to come out here to L.A. and, and deal with earthquakes? I think it was like 71 degrees on Monday, okay? <laughs> so, so, Steve, you want, let's go move in with him, Brian, you know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. We can set us up nice. See, I say that, but it's a big earthquake, and I'll be like, mm. well, I want to go to Chicago. Hello and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 81. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's fourth season episodes, Devil's Do, Clues, and First Contact. Here we go. Devil's Do, season four, episode 13, production number 187. Original air date, February 4th, 1991. Directed by Tom Binko. Story by Philip Lazabnik and William Douglas Lansford. Teleplay by Philip Lazabnik. Music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Marta Dubois as Ardra, Paul Lambert as Howard Clark, Marcelo Tubert as Acos Jared, Thad Lamy as Devil Monster, and Tom McGee as Feklar. <laughs> The Enterprise receives an emergency transmission from a science station on the planet Ventax 2. The Ventaxians are in a panic. Convinced a mythical figure called Ardra has returned to fulfill a thousand-year-old contract. According to legend, she promised the citizens of a once war-torn planet a thousand years of peace and prosperity in exchange for their enslavement at the end of that time. An entire planet has been terrorized because of the suggestion that you're going to enslave the population. Well, it's true. Of course, I wouldn't put it so melodramatically. It's just a standard contract with an unusually long term. So you do purport to be the mythic figure, Ardra? I have many names, my pale friend. Devil's <laughs> do. Well, <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but the one thing I got out of this episode was just confirmation that the devil is a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kid, folks. I kid. Listeners, don't. <laughs> um, a pretty woman. A very, very attractive woman. So, yeah, she she had auditioned for many roles over the years, but I think they got the right one for her. You know, she was very good. Um, you know, this episode has its problems, but the, the things that work, things that make it fun, are stuff like that. And it's it's weird because it. It feels like you're watching. It, it feels like an original series kind of episode to me, mm-hmm. and I didn't know this until my research. But sure enough, that's because it was. It was an original series episode. Basically, it was one of the very original, just like ideas that Roddenberry had for the original series before they even made the original series that they that they scrapped, uh, and then he brought it back for the late, you know, 1977 Phase Two, and then they actually had a script written. They went that far with it. Uh, and then, of course, um, two of those phase two episodes ended up becoming next gen episodes. Uh, earlier episode, the child, and and then now devils do. And it took them a while here because uh, 
had to rewrite it so many times. <laughs> I, I think it was Nemechek who pointed out. Maybe some I forget. Maybe it was somebody else. But for example, if you would have had, if you would have had, hot devil woman show up in Kirk's quarters in the middle of the night and say, uh, "I'll give you a night you'll never forget." Uh, he probably would not have reacted the same way that Picard did. No. <laughs> Although that wouldn't have made much of an episode. But originally it wasn't a woman. That was something they changed later. Anyway, what do you guys think of this one? How does, does it hold up? What do you think? Some reason I remember this episode better than many others. I don't know why because I don't think it's... I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not a particularly great episode. But for some reason I just seem to remember it better than a lot of the others. I don't know why exactly. Why is that? Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, while I watch it, I'm not I'm not blown over by the quality or anything, but it's certainly memorable. I always I I know everything that's going to happen. I remember every step of the way. I don't know how many times I watched it before. I mean, I guess the uh, I mean, you know, it's a relatively clever premise, I suppose. You know, um, but but yeah, I I also found it memorable, though not uh, striking in its quality. So why is it so memorable, though? I hmm, I don't know. I think to some extent everyone is fascinated with these notions of um, heaven and hell and devils and and things like that. I think the uh, you know every culture you know we we have our own um, no, you know doom you know doomsday uh, types that you know say the end is near and this kind of thing. I mean I think it's even if we don't see this concept in television portrayed all that often, I think it's it's something fairly intuitive, you know, in our psyche, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Caesar, what do you think of this one? Um, it's not very good. <laughs> it's you know they can't all be winners. I mean, uh, I would agree it is memorable. I did remember it. Um, I mean, for obvious reasons. I mean, you know, it's. You know what? What Steve mentioned. You know, Judgment Day, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I probably liked it more when I was when it first came out. It probably was a little bit more fun and a little bit more intriguing. Um, I don't think it really holds up very well for a number of reasons. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's like a bad episode or the worst thing I've ever ever watched as far as Star Trek goes. But um, I would put it on um, the below average episode list. Well, for me, the thing that keeps it going um, is definitely Ardra, her performance as that character, you know, her performance. I shouldn't say her performance as that character. I mean, the actress performing in this episode. Mm-hmm. I think she's good. I think she's got a lot of, like, screen presence, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite the fact that I never quite understood why she's coming on to Picard mm-hmm. and why she's coming on so strong, um, I do think they have some kind of interesting chemistry or something uh well yeah Bacardi he kind of goes for the the bad girls that are kind of like that you know uh, we we've seen it before with the his last like the Vosh. Vosh like time. Vosh. yeah she's there's similar things you know watching this episode i kind of thought it would have been actually a little bit better if they just would have went with her being some sort of q entity instead of all the tricks and hoaxes and i, I don't know it just seemed kind of um ridiculous to me that they couldn't catch on to what she was doing a lot sooner um i don't know well you know the one thing that i like a lot i i just find it very interesting is that from start to finish 
Picard never, not even for a moment, does he entertain any thought other than just, I mean, the first second he sees her, he says, like, if you're trying to be intimidating, you're not being successful. I mean, there's never any mm-hmm. sense of, um, well, fear isn't quite the word I'm looking for, but, you know, he's, he's completely confident in who she really is from the first moment he ever sees yeah. her, mm-hmm. you know? And that's very interesting. Uh, you, you would expect a, a, a Starfleet captain that they would need that skill, but he can, he's definitely got that skill of being able to size somebody up. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it seems completely fair. You know, I believe mm-hmm. it, that everyone else is even, I mean, obviously the citizens on the planet are, they think she's Ardra, but even the other members of, of Picard's crew, while they may not think she's Ardra, they are concerned about what other things, you know, she's un, more of an unknown to them, but he sizes her up immediately. You know, it's, it's not the first time we've heard him use flim flam, <laughs> uh, but um, he's he's got that ability, and, and that's the first thing he says to his crew. I had the distinct impression of being in the presence of a flim flam artist. So he's got he's got that, and I and I, I just like that that's that's there with him from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I I too I I for some reason this episode is memorable, and I think I liked it more than. Than Mr. Caesar, mm-hmm. um, but for me, I remembered not liking it. Like at the time it came out, it was one of the few that I was like, "I do not like this." I think um, I've eased off on that a little bit. It's got enough moments that I enjoy. You know, Picard getting beamed down in his PJs is kind of funny. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> don't see that very often. You mean Rainbow Zapped? Not beamed. He was Rainbow right. Zapped. Yeah. Rainbow Zapped. Well, that actually doesn't sound so bad is if you're in your PJs when it happens. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not like, like I said, it's not like I hated this episode, but just watching it, I, I don't know, I probably would have preferred instead of them having her be having her be the con con person, just go for it. Just have her be this being and have it worked out that way because, I don't know, it didn't, I was thinking about it, it didn't seem that unrealistic that in the Star Trek universe there's being this, beings that live for thousands of years and could do things like this. You know, it's been set up Things like this have been set up with Q, and I don't know. I just think I might have would have found it a little bit more interesting, and in instead of just like mm. con. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Another minor complaint I have: well, com- com- compare the teaser for Devil's Due to the teaser in Clues. You know, they both take place on the holodeck. They're both little pre-existing universes that we're familiar with. Um, and in Clues, it's very clear how it's thematically related to. You know, it's a mystery. Now we solve it. Whatever. Um, but in Devil's Do, there's the data as screwed with Picard watching him and the method acting and stuff. And I think it, it's a lot more of a stretch mm-hmm. uh, to try and relate those, which makes it feel like tacked on, like they came mm-hmm. up short and they needed to add stuff. Well, the funny, funny you should mention that that the um, the Scrooge um, scene was very good, whereas um, the um, Hill scene was not very good. I, I agree with that actually. I do. I'm just <laughs> but uh, but, uh, but, uh, but I agree with you that the hill scene matches the episode much more than the screw yeah. scene matches um, this episode. Yeah, it's funny seeing Stewart watching somebody play Scrooge since that's one of the few other roles I think of him as, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, other than Picard. Uh, yeah, not a lot to say in this one, is there? Um, I haven't done this in a while. What's your what, what's the scene that you like the most? Caesar. 
Um, the scene that I like the most, um, I'll go with the, the Scrooge stuff in the beginning. <laughs> the one that has nothing to do with them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You can do that, Steve. But I mean, you know, I mean, the, the tricks and all that kind of stuff, they're fun. I mean, you know, um, and I agree with you. Um, the actress who played Ardra is, um, she's very clever and witty and she plays well off of Picard. So those scenes are, are, are pretty fun, but the two of them. I'd pro- yeah, I'd probably have to say, I guess, in the courtroom where he shows her up, you know, I guess there's just some kind of satisfaction of that, and then Data's reactions and stuff, you know, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, what's it about? Is it about anything? Don't get conned. <laughs> um, hmm. Well, you know, one thing I think is interesting, we've got this society that cut this deal, you know, and I like how Picard explains... Well, you know, what if we're just in this situation where we're giving people a direction and a hope, and it doesn't matter if it's true? You know, why, how how could this have come up in the first place? Is that that conversation we're talking about that? Mm-hmm. Well, we may never know, but I but I like that kind of idea. And then I, I like the idea that they had a thousand years to kind of stew in this and build it up for themselves. This this. Um, Superstition, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. This this belief that Ardra was going to return. Mythology, if you will. Yeah, they they kind of had their own their own mythology. Um, this I don't know. I don't know if this is about, this is about anything, but it but it's it felt it felt kind of unique. Maybe you know maybe that's one of the reasons that despite the fact that it's not a better episode, we remember it because there's there's some unique things in this episode. There's certainly some visually when she flashes into the different devils. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Klingon Feklar, mm-hmm. right? Which is right, not the Klingon right. devil. The Klingons do not have a devil. We learned that in the original series. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's he's the guy that tortures people and that don't go to Sovercore or something. I don't remember, but he's not actually a devil. Anyway, um, that's that's kind of interesting. Oh, just totally side note. You know, nobody ever says like the names of different planets of the Klingon planets. Um, we know one is. Konos, but uh, Picard says to Ardra, um, "Impudence is claiming to be Fekla, Feklar of Klingon." He says, "Of Klingon." Right, so, right. Yeah, yeah, that's odd. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, um, so we don't we don't have anything for what it's about. I also kind of made a note that, I mean, again, this is probably a bit of a stretch, but, you know, there's a little bit of a moral lesson for those, for that planet, you know. I mean, obviously, you know, consistently Picard's trying to tell them, you know, look, this isn't, you know, you don't have to um, say, you know, you're going to base all your accomplishments on, like, some kind of uh, supernatural situation, you know, you guys work you know, worked hard and, and made something happen. And I, I think there might be a little bit of that in there, you know, it's, um, you know, people can, <clears throat> people can, uh, accomplish anything with perseverance and so forth. And, um, you know, I don't know what that says about faith, but, <laughs> or, you know, or anything of that nature, but I, mm. I think there might be a little bit of a lesson in there that Picard was trying to convey to the, the people. Okay. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. And Caesar, you're, you're content with that one? Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, not a terrible episode. I thought I thought it was better than I remembered it. It sounds like Caesar felt the opposite. Um, but if nothing else, this is kind of an interesting um, 
Star Trek fans thing to analyze, just knowing how it was originally original series kind of thing. Um, but overall, since it doesn't, it's not really about anything. Maybe that's one of the reasons that it doesn't hold up so well. Mm. Uh, all right, moving on. Six degrees for Devil's Due. Uh, who's going first? Quick. I'll go. Steve, Paul Lambert plays Howard Clark, the Federation scientist that requests Picard's help. In Next Gen's first season, uh, he played Melian in the episode When the Bow Breaks. In this episode, each Aldean acts as a mentor to kidnapped Enterprise children that they hope to bring into their vocation. What was Melian's vocation? Mm, okay, now I can kind of picture him in that episode now that yeah I drew the line. Yeah, if, you can, if you can picture him in that episode, then you might you might remember which, yeah. which job he yeah. had. Uh, gosh, I might be mixing up some of them, though. Was he a sculptor of sorts or something? Mm, no, sir. Mm. Mr. Caesar? Um, musician? You are correct, musician. Uh, Adam, someone claiming to be the devil, appeared in another episode of Star Trek called... The Magics of Magos 2. Which Star Trek series was that? Was that original? No. Mr. Embry? Can you repeat that? Someone claiming to be the devil appeared in another episode of Star Trek. The name of that episode was The Magics, M-A-G-I-C-K-S, Magics of Magos 2, T-U. Which Hmm. Star Trek series was that episode in? Since it doesn't ring a bell at all, I'll say the animated series. You're correct. It was the animated series. <laughs> that was funny. You each got the other one's question. <laughs> all right, moving on. Clues, season four, episode 14, production number 188. Original air date, February 11th, 1991. Directed by Les Landau. Story by Bruce D. Arthurs. Teleplay by Bruce D. Arthurs and Joe Minoski. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Colm Meany as Miles O'Brien. Rhonda Aldrich as Madeline. Pamela Winslow as Ensign McKnight. Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. Patty Yasutake as Alyssa Akawa. And Thomas Knickerbocker as Gunman. <laughs> En route to investigate a mysterious planet, the Enterprise passes through a wormhole in space, which knocks everyone but Data unconscious. As the crew begins to revive, Data tells Picard they were out for 30 seconds. But with continued conflicts with Data's explanations, Picard is forced to consider the fact that Data may be lying. Data, did you take this image from the ship's library and program the probe to send it back to us? I cannot verify that hypothesis. But you don't deny it. No, sir. Okay, clues. Here's an episode that I just really like, and I've always really liked it. Um, I'll remember what I'm going to say. Steve, why don't you start us on this one? Um, Yeah, this is also very memorable to me, like the last one, but I also, I do think this one... Um, has has is is a little more quality and perhaps even more unique. Um, I think I think I think the reason for that is is there's a lot of things going on there. But I mean I think mysteries are always inherently fun. You know, I think it's a very it's very unusual in that um, you know a lot of it is just I mean it takes place in you know, discussion and misunderstandings and all this versus some kind of actions and so on like that. Um, 
And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's it's an unusual story and it's interesting and I always I enjoyed it and it's a very memorable episode for me. Mr. Caesar, first thought. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I agree with Steve. It's an interesting story. I had a couple problems with it. Um, the end and just some of the interactions with Data. I mean, they're kind of understandable. You know, they all think he's lying, but I don't know. I just kind of felt uncomfortable watching it this time around. It was almost like they were, you know, obviously they're suspicious of Data, but it kind of go to me. It kind of felt like it went a little bit further than that. It was almost like a. I don't know. I don't know. It was just a little bit uncomfortable. It was almost like it a lack dark. of respect. Yeah. That, that um, scene went in. Well, let's go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it, it just kind of just tiny, tiny, tiny bit crossed the line for me on the way they kind of treated data. It was almost like, you know, Oh, you're just a robot dude. You know, that's kind of how it felt. And, um, I did I have know. a problem with him saying that line about it. He stripped down to his wires. It's like, how many times do we need to establish his, um, you know, his, his rights and so forth, you know? <laughs> it's like, really, stripped down to his wires. I mean, so so anybody, any officer that would be engaging in such behavior, would they, like, give him a lobotomy or something? It, yeah, mean, no, you know, <laughs> dissect him. Um, and the end, um, the end was just kind of wrapped up nice and neat for me. I mean, I, you know, it happens more often than not with, with Trek episodes. I think they could have... I think they could have concluded it a little bit better than to say, you know what, we're going to get it right this time. And, you know, and, and now two days have passed. What have you, you know, so I thought they could have been a little bit more clever in their, in their second run about figuring out how to, how to, you know, make, make sure that that doesn't happen again. Um, but I mean, overall, I mean, it's an entertaining episode. It's interesting. It's um, intriguing. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a mystery. <laughs> so this was the one of the three that I, that I played for my wife, mm-hmm. um, and I and I know First Contact would have made more sense, and it's probably First Contact is a, probably a better known episode, and it even has a lot more to do with just the way the Federation functions and stuff. But I've never thought it was executed that well. Mm. Clues, I think, is kind of a prime example of a well done bottle show, mm-hmm. you know, and it's and it's. Almost kind of the the quintessential next gen episode for me. This this episode, mm-hmm. you know, um, I would have a hard time seeing it be half as good on another Star Trek series. Mm-hmm. You could you could have done it in the original, I suppose, but I don't think it would have been as effective. I think this is a good example of something that works well with next gen. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was dark, you know. So, <clears throat> like my after we watched it, my wife asked me why did why did I choose this one, you know? And uh, she said like, what do you, what do you like about it? I said, well, the, the first I know I found myself for the first thing I said. I wouldn't think about it. I just said the first thing that came out of my mouth was, well, I like I love those scenes whenever they're confronting Data, like the scene in in um, uh. Picard's room there, and he says, um, "Please escort Mr. Data to engineering." And Data's like, "I know the way, sir." You know, mm-hmm. and it sounds like that's the kind of thing Caesar you felt was just going maybe a little bit too far, but that's the kind of thing I really liked. And then later, when they're in, I think it's Data's quarters, and you know, Data, did you, you know, reprogram the probe? I cannot verify that hypothesis. It's like Data 
lying sort of mm-hmm. data's version. I don't know. It's just it's something we've never really seen before, and I and I think it's 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 hard to imagine. <clears throat> I can't remember what it was like the first time I saw this episode, but obviously that would have been the most effective time, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because after, after that, every time you know mm-hmm. um, the deal. You know that he was ordered by Picard to say these things. I think I think it by its very nature makes you uneasy. I mean, I think you know, uh, for obvious reasons, we trust Data perhaps more than anyone else because we know it's you know he's he's, he's completely transparent. He's not going to lie unless it has something to do you know et cetera et cetera. So just to see a deception from him makes us uneasy. So that's creepy. And then like Troy gets possessed, and and then there's and then perhaps it's even creepier early on when she like sees a apparently sees a face in the mirror or whatever that she doesn't it's not herself that's creepy you know the notion of being controlled by something outside so I think there's these these kind of creepy elements and and it's now of course a mystery too which has questions and you don't know what's going on so i think it just well, it's your cool seat that, you know well, picard well, well, is picard says <clears throat> once he figures it out and, and then decides to go back to the planet even though he's figured it out and he says and the reason is because otherwise i don't know that i could trust data in the future and I, I think that's kind of neat because it's it shows just how far data's humanity has come because just mm-hmm. like what you were saying steve he's he is a computer how can he you know he's 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 functioning perfectly or he's not mm-hmm. you know but in saying that that's different that's that's more of a gray area that requires some level of of humanity some level of decision and choice mm-hmm. you know what, what were you going to say adam um, yeah, I'm, well, I mean, I'm just going to complain about the episode a little bit more. I'm like, well, how is that going to be? Isn't Deanna going to have hallucinations again? I mean, how are they going to solve Yeah, that me? was the one. Yeah. Of the things uh, that they're going to fix, that was the one. I'm like, I don't know how they fix that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, in the easiest way, I mean, you know, and obviously you have, a, you have to have a 40, 45-minute episode. And it's like, the, the easiest way to fix this episode is, like, Picard and Data know. They both know. The, those two know everybody else gets knocked out, and that way you you basically solve the whole thing right there. So, I it's just I don't know, it just kind of bothered me a little bit. It just seemed kind of loosey goosey. I I do well, like if I, if I was going to complain, the one thing I would see, I could I could see, mm-hmm. Picard is very very quick to believe these aliens are capable of their of destroying them. Yeah, but the whole episode really hinges on that, and they don't seem like they have any time to do any. I mean, to do it right would take the ten minutes of the episode to, to convince me that Picard feels that he has no other alternative than to submit yeah. to brain stuff, you know? yeah, yeah, <laughs> memory wipes and things. Um, but I'll, I'll give the episode a pass on that because I don't want them to spend a quarter of their screen time making that part believable. That that's not the mystery. Um, this episode kind of reminded me of another one. I don't, I don't recall it right off the top. Was that one where they're stuck in a time loop? And keep mm, going over yeah, again. Yeah. Cause and effect? Or yeah, that's effect. it. That's it. And yeah, I'm just thinking I enjoyed that episode. We'll find out when we watch it down the road. But I, I think I liked that version of the bottle episode much better than this one. It kind of had the similar mystery type thing. Um, like I said, I didn't dislike this episode. It just seemed kind of just a lot, of, a lot of just loose ends in it. So I think that's what kind of bothered me. Um, so do, uh, I don't recall, but does Dixon Hill always talk with that silly accent that Patrick was doing <laughs> at the opening of the episode? And that kind of like yeah, like he turns to 
he turns to uh, Guinan and then does and kind of says something softly, right? But then when he turns back to talk in his normal voice, and when he turns to talk to the gangster guy, he goes into the the gangstery voice thing. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. His, his, his Actually, no. Accents. For voices, way worse to me. The Troy thing just kind of makes me laugh. <laughs> does she? I mean, really? Okay, she's possessed, but does she really have to sound that way? It just sounds silly, doesn't it? it maybe it didn't twenty years ago. But it seems it sounds silly to me now. If she just walked out there and spoke, that wouldn't that, would not would that not have worked? Right. And nobody yeah. would know she was possessed. And how? And what's the bottom? I think by what she's saying, this possession that creates that effect on the vocal cords that's really unusual. Yeah, really. <laughs> it's the green mist. It's bad. Poor Troy. She's always the one getting possessed, isn't she? <laughs> yep. Yep. There's something about her. The poor girl. She's obviously going to have nightmares about this for the rest of her life. It's probably going to mess her up, and you know, and then. Her and Riker are never are going to get divorced, and just because of this episode, <laughs> she's going to be freaked out and seeing faces uh-huh. in the mirror that she has no idea about. It's like if I hear you say that wasn't me in the mirror one more time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was an unusual. Yeah, you didn't. You just see Guinan in the first five minutes, and then she's you know usually Guinan has a purpose in an episode. Um, not so much. She's just in the teaser, but I. I like the, whole, you know, what we're what we're neglecting here. The best stuff, the stuff that makes it uh, interesting and makes you want to watch it and keep and you, you're staying with it are is the, are the are the little clues. It is the mystery, you know. Seeing the seeing the plant has it's obviously aged 24 hours. That's kind of that's cool. Um, the transporter thing we can measure the time from a cell. What? That's okay, but that's cool. <laughs> Um, but you know these kind of all the mystery stuff actually is interesting. Just like Picard says at the end, you know humans can't resist a mystery. We must eliminate all the clues. Um, so apparently they come up with a way to create the perfect crime since they get through it. But, um, is this episode about anything? Trust. You could say trust you put in there. I mean, you know, there's a <clears throat> whole issue with trust with Picard and um, Data. Um, loyalty. Um, you could talk about loyalty. Data's loyalty to be, you know, stripped down to his wires just to protect his crew, ship and crew. I think mm-hmm. that, I think those, yeah, I think that is that aspect of it's the most interesting really is the trust. It's kind of like what you alluded to earlier, Brian, with the, uh, essentially the, you know, He's he's got to know. He's got to trust Data enough to know that okay, I really believe he's doing this for a reason to protect us. Maybe it's safer. Maybe it's the safe bet to ignore this and move on. But because but for Data, for his career, for his freedom, I'm going to go back and and we're going to investigate this. You know, um, I mean, I think that says something about loyalty and trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll take that. So I like this episode. I really enjoy. I enjoy watching this episode a lot. This episode probably could have been. They could have done this episode probably anywhere in the span of next gen, but it obviously wouldn't have been as good early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's another one of those just kind of. Here's the word I couldn't think of earlier: prototypical. That's what I think mm-hmm. of this episode as. Mm-hmm. It's like the proto prototypical next gen episode, and it's a bottle show to boot. So anyway. All right, let's move on to Six Degrees for Clues. I believe the score is one to one. Mm-hmm.
Steve went first last time. Adam. Yes. Rhonda Aldrich plays Dixon Hill's secretary, Madeline, in this, her third and final appearance as the character. Name either of the other two episodes in which she appears. Uh, the other two episodes... The first one, the whole episode, pretty much, was the Dixon Hill episode, so that one might be an easier title to recall. But, mm. These are the moments when I wished I saved all our summaries, so I can just go back and look real quick. But I still, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I'd just be Steve? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably mixing up titles and things, but there's something like, like the big game or something like that. Is that You're one so close. Mm-hmm. You want to try again? I'll give you a second shot. The, very close. The, the Big Goodbye. That's it. The Big Goodbye. I'll give you that one. That's the one. All right, Steve. Pamela Winslow plays... Oh, and for the record, the other one was Manhunt. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, with Loxana and such. Mm. Pamela Winslow plays Ensign McKnight in this, her first of three appearances as the character. Her next is toward the end of the season when Data starts dating. Name the episode. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's it's not coming to me. Adam. Data romance. I don't know. <laughs> uh, in theory. Mm. In theory. Yeah, I don't know why I always remember that title. I just realized, like, three of my six questions today. Are title questions. Why am I doing that to you guys? I don't know. <laughs> I, guess I, was, I was feeling mean. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, wait, what does that mean? The score is uh, Steve 2, Adam 1. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. All right, moving on. First Contact, Season 4, Episode 15, Production Number 189. Original air date, February 18th, 1991. Directed by Cliff Bowl. Story by Mark Scott Zickery. Teleplay by Dennis Russell Bailey, David Bischoff, Joe Minoski, Ronald D. Moore, and Michael Piller. Music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include George Coe as Avil Durkin, Carolyn Seymour as Marasta Yale, George Hearn as Beryl, Michael Inson as Krola, Stephen Anderson as Nilrum, Sashi Parker as Tava, and B.B. Newworth as Linnell. During a first contact mission on the planet Malkorion, Riker is wounded and stranded in a hospital without his communicator. While he is unconscious, his Malkorian doctors discover evidence that proves he is not of their race. When he comes to, Riker refers to himself by his Malkorian name and passes off his physical differences as deformities. His doctors, however, believe he is an alien and decide to keep his presence a secret to avoid a panic among their people. Chancellor, there is no starship mission more dangerous than that of first contact. We never know what we will face when we open the door on a new world. How we will be greeted what exactly the dangers will be. Um, I like this episode. Of the three that, we, um, that we're that we discussing today, I think this one probably has the most to say. Um, we can argue whether it's um, a good episode or not among the other uh, the three that we've talked about today. But um, I enjoyed it just because it had a, um, a I mean, a, a real good point to it. I mean, there's there's a lot of talk between Picard and the um, Prime Minister about um, societies and and the prime directive and the advancement of, um, you know, um, societies and races into space, you know, and, um, 
watching this in hindsight, it's to me it's even cooler because you know obviously you know we know we've seen Enterprise and we we we've seen how um, um, humans you know went through this process. So it's kind of cool to see the other side of it. Um, you know they you know there's a lot of added conflict in here with Riker and all that kind of stuff and their intrigue and everything like that. But the most of the stuff that I enjoyed were the, the things with Picard and their prime minister discussing different societal things. Well, the, the, the craziest thing in this one, of course, is the way it opens, which is you know famously mm-hmm. breaks rules for Star Trek. It opens from the alien's point of view. Um, doesn't it doesn't quite feel like it tells that tells the story from the alien's point of view the whole episode, but it, no doubt about it, it opens from that POV. Um, but I always really liked that. I'm, it never feels it feels right for this story, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's so, interesting to get to get cool. to get there to get the story from their side. Although, like you said, it's not the whole thing that way. But um, I think so. I think and I think that's a lot of fun. There's a lot of there's some there's some comedy of sorts in there too. And I think it's by its very nature it generates discussion. You know, I mean, it, mm-hmm. you can't help but talk about well, if if this happened here or has happened here, how would our how would we react? How you know all these kinds of issues and and of course the uh, the general notion of basically the conservative traditional side versus the progressive side these kinds of ideas and you know it, it's it just it just generates good conversation i think well it's effective that you know for example when when picard and troy beam down to marasta they feel like the aliens picard feels like an alien mm-hmm. doesn't it mm-hmm. he feels like he's an alien coming in here mm-hmm. you know you're like well that that's 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 a pretty good trick yeah yeah <laughs> you know um, and they do a fair, they do a pretty fair job of it because you, you, I think you, you feel in their shoes a little bit. You feel like, huh, what would it be like if someone just, you know, the materialized in front of your face <laughs> and you know it didn't look like you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of fun to think about, you know, you know, the first time Ricard goes into the prime minister's office, like, how did he get by the the doorman? How did how did she manage to get him yeah. by the doorman? Right. The doorman's uh, all, doorman's all cool and collected. He doesn't care about the alien sitting in the waiting room. You know, he's... <laughs> and, and then you, th- you kind of I think about it in modern terms. I'm like, what if you know? That would basically be like taking Barack Obama out of the White House and beaming him up to to his ship. I mean, you know, everybody would go flip up, would flip out. <laughs> I mean, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be like you know, oh hey, I'm just going out for for lunch. You know, I, you know, everybody knows where our leader of the free world is every <laughs> second of every moment. So it's like, how, I mean, but it's kind of fun to think about that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you wanted to massively and you know nitpick on this one, this has that same kind of fundamental universal translator. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. So the yeah. only, you know, it, it, for example, that the opening or when we first see Riker in the in there, either he's speaking perfectly in whatever their language is, which okay, if there's some, if there's a universal translator in his brain that's making him <clears throat> speak in this other language, okay, maybe. It's a voice um, box. Or there's some the, the lips wouldn't match, or. The whole thing should be in a different language. We, the people watching the episode on television, should be reading subtitles. You know, yeah. Um, so it does have that kind of fundamental cheat, which I normally don't think about, which is almost in every episode of Star Trek, which we are so used to when we don't think about it. But another result, and in this case a negative one, 
of telling it from this different point of view is it makes stuff like that pop in my mind that I wouldn't normally think because now I'm watching it from there, from the aliens, from, from the non-Federation's point of view, and now right. it somehow makes that stick out like, whoa, this should be even more foreign than it is, but he's just speaking English. Right. Uh, so, but even when I noticed it, I don't, I guess I didn't notice it for long, and then I move on. I think, I think that's something they would do today they would they would make sure to do the languages and stuff like that and we've had well we've had this discussion before we'll continue to have it about how television was done and you know the 80s and 90s and how it's done today there's more of a um a emphasis on realism even in science fiction today so i don't think that's something that you would you they would gloss over would be able to get away with today as they did back then mm-hmm. well certainly um look at into Darkness, the most recent Star Trek, all that Klingonese was uh, subtitled. Mm-hmm. Um, There's some good uh, Who's That Guy shots. There's a few of those. Oh my god, <laughs> that guy doesn't look anything like Riker. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't look anything like Riker. And of course, it's just all the worse with um, when he's getting beat up after he tries to escape. It's it's made way worse in, in high def. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't even have the right. He doesn't even have the right build. Right, right, right. <laughs> it really is. Who is that guy? Takes. <laughs> um, but okay. Well, I guess we should comment on the baby scene. It's it's it always sticks out to me. It's it is funny. It does make you smile. But maybe it's gone too far. I don't know. Does it? Is that from Cheers? Yeah. 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 Right. right. Okay. Which is funny, of course, since Cassie Grammer is also going to do a. Cam- I mean, this is basically a glorified cameo. She's just in the one yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It never really bothered me much, but I think it part of it's because it's Riker and it's he does his thing. I don't know. It's but yeah. Maybe there's a standard like standard operating procedure. There's like an SOP for you know <laughs> Riker's going down to a plant of, of aliens, uh, so we do have to find out physiologically, make sure that if he were to ha- have sex with one of them. They wouldn't die or something, or he wouldn't get a disease. Yeah, right. Like maybe that's just a normal part of it. Like they had, they already researched that and told him, so he knew if it was okay. Right, right. Yeah. And in these circumstances, you got to do it. So that's why he probably volunteers for all the missions. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way you're getting out. There was another one towards the end where she's like, "Take me with you." You know, there's a couple little kind of, you know, when they take her, the the science minister, she doesn't want to stay on her planet. Take me with you. You know, it's kind of like. I kind of have the same feeling with both those scenes. <laughs> Funny if Riker would have stuck his head in the ready room that that, that, that scene. It's like, take you where? where? Oh no, no, no! <laughs> uh, or show her to Riker's quarters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mr. Worf. Oh yeah. Uh, the most memorable thing about this episode, uh, far and away, and what makes it worth it, even though I think that, I think the realization here isn't. It's not. They're not firing all, all, on all cylinders. I do think that there's some moments that are very clunky. I do think that some of the stuff doesn't blend together so well. Some of the dialogue is kind of weird. But fundamentally, it's really cool to get to see how first contact works. Yeah, yeah. You know, even even the fun aside of kind of telling it from the aliens' point of view. Mostly, this thing for me is how cool it is to see how first contact works. That is, that's really neat. Um, and that's such a fundamental thing, you know. I mean, the prime look at the the prime directive is is directly related to this, mm-hmm. you know. And it's such a fundamental thing about 
who the Federation is, who Starfleet is, you know? Um, yeah, definitely. It definitely works in that kind of pack of episodes and movies that would be kind of like a, a Federation training manual of sorts, yeah, you know, Prime yeah. Directive and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I love Picard's line kind of almost near the end, you know, there's no Starship mission more dangerous than First Contact. And that's really neat because he's not so much talking about, I don't know, uh, one guy died. Riker, one guy dies in sick bay. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about it's the first impressions. We're not even talking about war, like what happened to the Klingons, so much as we're talking about we could we could fundamentally alter the entire future of millions or billions of people in this entire culture. Yeah. It's when he so when he says dangerous, I think he's talking about the potential for. Um, interference mm-hmm. and uh yeah you know so it, that's a neat use of the word dangerous there it is that evolved sense and it's i, I don't know i just i really like that line i think it's uh it says a lot about the federation it says a lot about picard um but yeah that's the main thing that i that i really enjoy from this one mm-hmm. is, is is sussing out such a fundamental um, piece of how the Federation operates. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we've seen undercover stuff before. We've seen it before, and next gen we'll see it again in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of cool, like, you know, story bits in here. I already told you, I like, I love the teaser. They got their lines. Well, what, I don't know what the lines are. Where's his. Where's his Liberty gibbet? Whatever it is. <laughs> you know? It's in his digestive, tra- digestive tract. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's cool. Um, so, I don't know. Pick, pick a, a scene that you thought was the most entertaining, Steve. Oh. I, um... I don't know. It depends on the kind of the, the nature of the entertainment. I mean, there's the humor in the whole scene with you know with Riker's going to have sex with the alien, and uh, but there's also um, a kind of different kind of entertainment with just you know like you, like you said the procedural issues with the Prime Directive. So it's kind of this 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 neat idea of Picard going through the lines. You feel like okay, this is like the what captains are scripted to more or less convey in a first contact thing. I, I, I dug that part, you know. Um, Caesar, <clears throat> I mean, we're probably getting kind of into what it's about, but, you know, how do you react to this, this culture? Uh, you know, so much of this episode is about these, these beings that feel they're the center of the universe. Um, do you think that this was? It, it sounds like the Federation figured out, because of their observations, that um, this was going to be a harder one than usual. Right. Did they go about it then the right way? I mean, it's, you can't really say, "Well, forget it then," because uh, once they have warp capabilities, they're going to run into people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you kind of. I mean, you have to. Well, I mean, I think Picard um, explains it best. He's like, we prefer to meet here instead of out in the middle of space. And, you know, I guess um, <clears throat> the way the Federation, they, they feel it's more, 
I think the way the Federation perceives that they want to be, it wants to be in a more controlled environment, and I guess they've decided that doing that on the planet is the best way to do that. And logically, you can look at it, and you know, um, Picard explains this to their prime minister, you know, we have to know everything about your people, so everything goes as smoothly as possible. Um I you know I you know, I kind of think about it in terms of like our our own civilization you know I can't help but watch this episode and think you know how would that go down here obviously you know we have like you know 40 or 50 different governments on this planet as opposed to the one they're they're visiting it just seems to have one centralized government so that makes it a, a lot easier so it, it actually goes to the point that Picard was talking about it this is the most complicated and dangerous mission that they they could probably do I mean you know think about it the federation came to earth right now like I said, there's 50 different governments and power structures all over this planet. How would they, how would they interact with us on this planet? And it's just, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of a little fascinating for me to think about. So I like that dynamic of how it would work here hmm. as opposed to there. Steve are, we, Steve, are we getting into what it's about? Yeah, I think, I think uh, for me it's the... Uh, I don't know. It's, it's the it's the kind of the complicated. It's the identity of a culture in a way. You know, they they're they're struggling with: are we are we progressing? Are we moving forward? Are we ready to join this um, interstellar community? Are we traditionalists going to hold back who to be who we are for a while longer? Um, for me, since it focuses so much on the the aliens, really less on our people. It's it's mostly about that. It's about the you know your your identity, the identity of a people, and and making the choices, you know, making these big choices to have to determine how much of a part of a larger community you're going to be, you know, mm-hmm. and how long do you have control over that, you know. I mean, I think we've seen our own our own planet that sooner or later you're probably going to be forced into it in some way shape or form you know you can't be an isolationist forever you know so mm-hmm. you have to choose the terms in which you're going to interact with other cultures well that's yeah i mean that's it's, it is a bit of a parallel just nation to nation especially the united states which was geographically isolated but eventually um once the technology and the options were there um we tried. <laughs> there were certainly a lot of folks a hundred years ago, in the United States, that wanted to remain isolationist. But it, <laughs> there's still some. Think, <laughs> yeah. Yes, there are. But eventually, the technology gets to the point where you're you're going to let everyone else lap you if you don't mm-hmm. start communicating. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, is this a good episode? Does it work? Because for me, I just like I said, I feel like a lot of really cool ideas, and I'm I'm glad we have it. Good story, but I just it feels a little clunky to me. It feels like a stretch. It feels like it needed. I want to I want to say another rewrite, but it already had so many. It had like you know a dozen write writers and rewrites and. I mean, you know, Brian, Brian, I would I would definitely agree with you. It's not, <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a tight episode. But I think there's a lot here to talk about, and there's a lot here to make to think about, and so I think um, I think that's conveyed in the episode. I mean, obviously we're we're sitting here still talking about it, societal issues and first contact and the Federation. So there's a lot there. Maybe just there was just too much to put into the the 45 minutes that they had, and you know, and they you know they tried to make it a little bit fun with Riker and the sex scene. We talked about that. So I don't know. Maybe there was just kind of a little bit of a lack of focus. 
maybe that's what you're. Mm-hmm. you're I think well, yeah, I think it's I think it's good, and it perhaps perhaps the execution uh, keeps it from being great. You know, the script and so forth. You know, I think it's good because it does it is about something, and it, and it creates dialogue, but it's it can't really cross into maybe very good territory for me because of of it's like but the, how tight it is, the execution, the script, etc. Do you think it would have been better if they just would have left the Riker story out of it and just focused mainly, just, just straight up focus on the first contact without the you know little extra drama? Yeah, it might have felt kind of procedural then, especially telling it from the alien point of view. I think it would have lost something. Well, maybe not. I mean, I mean, if 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 it was just a story about first contact, how they go in there, I can see what you're saying. It's like procedural. I'm not I'm not saying they necessarily would have to do that from an, an alien's mm-hmm. point of view, but maybe just go at the episode as like how does. Starfleet approach um, first contact, and you know I think you can get enough drama out of that without having to add in a a lost crew member in a hospital. Yeah. Well, I think if they're gonna, if that's gonna be the B story, and that's what's gonna carry through to, to fill space up, I think it's 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 sound. It's just you know as fun as it is, and that scene where he encounters the alien and the whole thing. I don't know that that humor might have thrown it off. I'm not gonna say that one scene did anything. I'm just saying that that tone. Maybe it should have been a little more. Um, ominous the entire time on the side of Riker, you know, like a feeling the the threat feeling. So you could have a kind of a, a counterpoint to the generally speaking positive relations of Card and crew were having on their end, you know, so you kind of get that dichotomy in the episode in addition to what ultimately is the the end result, you know. Hmm. All right. Well I think we've covered this one. Let's move on to Six degrees for first contact. I believe it's Steve has two. <clears throat> um, of course, this happened last time. My computer goes to sleep right as I'm like reading something. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, Adam. Yes. Caroline Seymour plays Marasta Yale, the almost inventor of warp drive that decides to stay on the Enterprise. In Next Gen's sixth season, she plays the Romulan commander Toreth in the episode Face of the Enemy. In this episode, which member of Next Gen's crew gets a Romulan makeover? Would that be Counselor Troy? You're right. 2-2. Steve, this is for the win. Michael Ensign plays Krola, the guy that really, really doesn't like aliens and shoots himself to prove it. In Voyager's third season, he played a singing Takarian in the episode where the two Ferengi are running a small planet. Name the episode. And I believe I once before asked for the name of this episode. <laughs> I just think it's a funny name. Okay. Oh, gosh. Um, I know what episode you're talking about, but... Um, mm, it's not coming to me. Adam? Um, I don't know. Rules of Acquisition? No. False... Profits. Mm, so, uh, that's right. That P-R-O makes more sense. Profits. P-R-O profits. <laughs> All right. Uh, rare tie for the day. <clears throat> Guys, I did get one thing for Christmas. I just had to mention. I got that uh, that John Byrne hardcover, mm-hmm. which is like a whole bunch of the John Byrne Star Trek comics in one. Cool. Which I've never read any of his Star Trek comics. They're probably the best. I've read a lot of Star Trek comics, and he's—I was shocked. They're probably the best Star Trek comics I've ever read. Hmm, awesome. He has a. There's a whole line. Well, aside from the fact that every single story eventually kind of crosses, starts to cross stuff over, but there's this whole line. The best stuff 
is a uh, number one from the cage that you know. Um, um, yeah, Magil, her right. character. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he he takes that character from back before she's on the Enterprise and gets her to the Enterprise. It's it's, it's really good. It's really 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 good. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, if I was only going to recommend one Star Trek comic for somebody to read, I think it would be these John Byrne things, which collected in one nice hardcover. It's only like thirty bucks. Highly recommend that. Oh, all right, really really cool. good. All right, uh, <clears throat> Steve. I assume you got your usual. Hallmark ornaments for Christmas. Yes, Star Trek. yes, of course. Anything? Anybody get anything else? Star Trek. Mm. I got something Star Wars. You got some Star Wars. Trader. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> yeah, I got. Um, I've got the. I don't know if you guys have seen them. They've had. They got these um saber lamps. So they're like really um nice replica oh, yeah. sabers, and so instead of just having just a saber sitting on your desk doing nothing, this is an actual lamp, and it kind of it's nice and. Cool. I got a, a Keurig machine that came with a sample pack that included Earl Grey tea. <laughs> nice. Awesome. I have to tell you, our Keurig, I would say our Keurig and our couch are the two things, material items in our home that we love the most. <laughs> that, that Keurig, the Keurig changed our lives. It really did. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. All right, folks. Uh, <clears throat> Thank you so much for joining us. We have enjoyed talking about Star Trek today, and we are going to be back in two weeks to talk about the next three episodes of Next Gen. Uh, Till then, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. We need to post more Twitter stuff. <laughs> we do. Uh, you can uh, find us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can also send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Till next time, take it easy. Good night. Bye. I passed it.